here, buddy? How are you? Oh, awesome. It's a good day to be here. Hey, uh, my name's Nate Strobel. Um, I'm super stoked uh, to be here this morning. So excited. I, uh, uh, I put on pants today, so you're welcome. Um, very excited. I usually wear shorts. It's not weird. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be here right now. And uh, I need to introduce myself properly. Hi. My name's Nate Strobel. I'm a seminary dropout. Now, you might be going, well, that's kind of a weird way to begin, but before anything else, I'm a dad. Well, one of my top roles in this world is as a dad. My oldest daughter just challenged me, you know how you need to start this sermon off? Was that? So, I was sitting there for a while, but felt a different call in my life, so I'm a seminary dropout. So I got that going for me, which is nice. A um, couple other things here uh, before we get going. Um, based on how this is going thus far, there's a really good chance I probably won't ever be up in front of you guys again. But <laughs> on the off chance they decide to take another, uh, another stab at it, a um, couple things that you guys will find helpful. If you could watch uh, a few movies for me, if you could watch all the Star Wars series, uh, with the one exception being uh, episode one, that movie should never have been made. Um, pretty much watch everything Star Trek related, watch The Matrix and Princess Bride. If you get those things done, then you'll pretty much understand all the references, the weird stuff that I kind of throw out at you. Good to that? Right now, Star Wars? All right, boom. Cameron and I are gonna have a two-way conversation here today. This is good. So, uh, and uh, from the get-go, the other understanding here is uh, I want to set the stage for our time together. You and I are brothers and sisters in faith. Correct? Agreed? Yeah. If that is so, then this time of worship where we as a family get together with our Heavenly Father, it's kind of like a family meeting. It's a family meeting like the, fa the dream family meeting for me where when I walk in and I have a family meeting that uh, all of a sudden my, my children all come in. God, you are Before you didn't slip there. Um, Dad, you are awesome. And you are amazing. And you are worth our praise and glory. That doesn't normally happen in a struggle family meeting. But uh, that's what we get to do in worship. That we get to see God for who God is and appreciate it. And uh, so we appreciate God, we, we ascribe worth to him, and then uh, we get to get energized about what God would have us do in the world. So perhaps you're wondering about the pom-poms. Perhaps you didn't notice the pom-poms. Notice them now. So why do I have pom-poms? Because this morning, this is one part family meeting one part, awkward Nate being up front, my children are horrified right now, and one part, pep rally for the kingdom. I'm gonna put this right here, Rob. That makes you Glee Club president. Woo! Awesome, <coughs> excuse me. So, uh, it's not a perfect metaphor, but you get the idea. Because um, in one sense, I really don't have any business being in front of you all. When I look around, at you, I see people uh, that I admire in their faith, that have inspired me uh, to faith in good deeds beyond what I would ever think to do. 
I think I ought to be, in many ways, the last person up in front of you. Um, I want you to disciple me. But uh, here I am. So why do I think it's precisely, especially as we start talking about living life on purpose as a community, that I'm just a guy, just another guy in the church. Uh, I'm a member here, uh, another traveler on the journey of, of life and faith. But uh, I'm excited about where we're going, where we have gone for the entire history of this church, seeking to engage the community for the cause of Christ, um, and that we, uh, we have new opportunities to do that. I'm stoked about it. I'm very excited about it. And uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's an awesome place. But I've got another job. I work for the, the fire department. Love it. It's an it's a awesome career. I spray water on fire for a living. Um, which is pretty cool. I've got other involvements in the community. I've got a family uh, who I love. Uh, in all these different spheres of my life, I'm trying to figure out what does it look like for the kingdom of God to come into all those spheres. And uh, so I, I muse on this a lot, and this is kind of where we're going to go today, uh, is to look at that. The question of seeking first the kingdom of God. Well, let's back up for a second, shall we? We shall. All right. We just, <laughs> if you're curious, this is going to be weird and awkward the whole morning, so you're just going to have to buckle up and go for the ride on this one, okay? Life is good. Um, so we just finished up our series on the upside-down kingdom of God, and whoever came up with that kingdom graphic for the bulletin, huge shout-out. That was awesome. Um, so... Uh, this kingdom is a kingdom whose ethics, whose morality is uh, structured in, in how it works. It, it flies upside down to how we expect or have experienced a kingdom to operate. Um, and granted, if he's the creator of the universe, uh, then God's kingdom perhaps is the kingdom that's right side up. But we'll get back to that. Um, so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the uh, early church. I don't remember if it's next week or the week after. We're going to look at Acts 2 uh, at the early church. And we begin to get a hint of what a kingdom community down here physically can look like. It doesn't operate uh, in the ways of other kingdoms and other communities operate. Last week, uh, I, I apologize I wasn't able to be here. I was on shift, but uh, I was listening to this sermon later. And uh, Pete brought up this awesome contrast between a kingdom community, God's kingdom community, and the, the uh, or, yeah, God's kingdom versus the kingdoms that we experience in our world. A couple of the things, some of the highlights of it. It's a kingdom with the last being first and the first being last. A kingdom where in giving ourselves up to it, giving all of who we are up to it, we actually gain everything. At least everything that is, that is right and real and good and noble. It's a kingdom where we trust God with our needs so that we can put others before ourselves because God's taking care of us. It's a kingdom where uh, we are not defined by our profession, by our family roles, by our family position. Uh, we're not defined by our successes or failures, money, power, how successful our kids are, how successful we are. 
but rather we are defined simply by him who made us. That's awesome. And it must make us wonder, if it's God's kingdom that's upside down, or maybe it's our kingdoms. We used the, uh, the working definition of the kingdom, and this is a little Dallas Willard shout out. Uh, the, the functional definition we used for the kingdom of God was the effective range of God's will. And we can assume, obviously, that this, the range of God's will is fairly large. One might say universally large. As a matter of fact, about the only place that that will doesn't have sway is in the kingdom of you and the kingdom of me, where what I want has sway. My will be done. God, the creator of the universe, who really has um, quite a bit of power uh, at his fingertips, stands at the door and knocks. Knocks at the door to our kingdom. So, this kingdom idea. Um, it's kind of a big one. Uh, our little kingdoms are the effective range of our will. And our kingdom is uh, uh, a physical, tangible reality as our kingdom resides in our own body. This, this is the beginning of, the, of my little kingdom, is me and how I can interact with the world, both physically, I looked up this paper. Why do I look up this paper? Because I want to. My will be done. You're totally not impressed. All right. Uh, or in uh, relationships that I have. Uh, uh, the first one I think about was like, well, the only place where uh, my will can really affect others is, is on the home front and my kids. And uh, uh, when, the, when I relate with them, yeah, I have certain power and authority over them. My will be done. Those of you who have uh, children understand uh, the humor of what I just said. <laughs> um, because, and that, that's the point of it, is that my kids have their own kingdoms. Their own little kingdom where their will has sway. And when their kingdom and my kingdom uh, come into conflict, that's where we butt heads. And we see that same dynamic in all our relationships as all our little kingdoms where our will has sway uh, begins to butt up against someone else. And then we have to figure out how do I get them to do what I want them to do? Because that's how we think about it oftentimes. Welcome to the world politic. How do I get this other person and these other people to do what I want them to do? And figure out a way to make that happen. So, uh, all these, all these kingdoms. Um, we're moving into a new series called On Purpose, it, about uh, intentional living both individually and as a, as a community. And really when I look at this, I think this, of this as, this is just the next logical step in the same conversation. In my mind, it's not really a different sermon series. It's the same one. If the kingdom of God, then how do we live as a kingdom community? It's just an if-then statement. So, what, is it, what does it look like? Uh, how do we live? We, uh, we begin to try and ask the question, what does it look like to live and embody this kingdom reality in our own lives, with our family, at work, and as, uh, as a church? How do we seek to live flying 
right side up uh, in the various spheres of our lives. And the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is, is awesome. It's a little mysterious in how it works, because all of a sudden, God will just bring something together that you're like, oh, dude, I did not see that coming. Um, but it's not a secret. It's a mystery, but it's not a secret. As a matter of fact, we, uh, uh, as we try to figure out how to interact in the kingdom, it happens in the most ordinary of ways. Because uh, that's the cool thing about God, is that uh, he does the extraordinary through the ordinary. So, um, what does it look like? And one of the things I love um, about reading about Jesus in the Gospels uh, is the congruence of his thought, his teaching, his actions, and his overall patterns of life. Um, as we look at his teachings, the bulk of his teaching was on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. Uh, and it's, it's pretty awesome. Clearly, this is kind of a big deal for him. As a matter of fact, uh, if we look in Luke 4, and this isn't up on the, on the screen or anything, so you're just going to have to go with me on this one. We have this great little example that I think is uh, it's something that we can read over really quickly and not really pay attention to until you actually stop and think about what he says. A little short thing here. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. All right, we're going to put a pin in that one. Remember that one for later. Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because this is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's, let's sit on that one for a moment. We talk a lot, especially as a, a, a church that we want to declare the gospel. But what gospel do we declare? I would submit to you that it's a good idea to declare the same gospel that Jesus declared. He's kind of an authority on it. And the gospel that Jesus declared was the gospel of the kingdom of God, of the rule of God in our lives, our access to it, that affects everything. It affects our relationships. It affects our social structures. Uh, it's like yeast working its way through dough. We don't really see it happening. But then all of a sudden, this mysterious work, poof, and we realize that we have a, a community transformed. Um, so, he worked his divine orchestration to results that we never saw coming uh, through ordinary means and extraordinary results. So, uh, the big question I start asking, as we think about all this, the big question I start asking is, how? How do we do this? How do we begin to actually live into the kingdom of God? We, we spent six weeks studying all these different attributes about the kingdom of God, and it sounds awesome. Like, yeah, I want me some of that. That's what I want. That is the world I want to live in. So how do we do it? And the nice thing is, when you have a big question like that, Jesus uh, has conveniently given us very clear direction on it. Uh, our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 6. And to set the stage, we need to remember, Matthew 6, we're starting to come near uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I would say pretty much the greatest sermon ever preached. As a matter of fact, um, 
and takes up three chapters in the book of Matthew. Nothing takes up three chapters. <laughs> But the Sermon on the Mount does. And, and in the sermon, uh, Jesus begins to paint this picture for us of what a kingdom reality can actually look like. Where we're at and where we can go. You've heard it said, blah, blah, blah. But I tell you, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I just minimize the kingdom of God to blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Sorry. But... <laughs> It's this, it's this way that he begins to paint a picture of the kingdom reality. And uh, it is, uh, is an awesome thing. But I think that uh, the pivotal point is at the end of chapter 6. When he starts giving us marching orders. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't tell us to do a whole lot. You look at the, the stories he did. He, would just, he had this amazing way of painting pictures. There were very few times where he was very direct in what he said. Do this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching and baptizing. Surely I'm with you till the end of the age. That was a big one, the Great Commission. Here's another biggie. So, chapter 6. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Wow. Isn't it awesome to be able to stand for God's word? So, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, uh, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. Here's the kicker. <clears throat> But, seek first his kingdom. Let me say that one again. But, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has a trouble, has enough trouble of its own. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Have a seat. In the immortal words of Neil. Whoa. Alright, I'm curious who caught that reference. <laughs> Alright, so Sarah and I are having a conversation now, too. This is good. This is a little Matrix reference for you guys. Alright. Wow. This is awesome. Um, we're moving into uh, this new series here again uh, called On Purpose. Um, we've got this really cool. Uh, graphic for it that uh, uh, is really, really neat. Um, but it's, it's focusing, focusing us in on where we live as a community. And we try to figure out, okay, how are we going to engage the community? I say we start at the same place that Jesus said for us to start. 
that we as individuals and as a community seek first the kingdom of God. That uh, we stop trying to figure out all this stuff. Because when we look at it, the questions he asked were just basic survival things. And in many ways, those were very appropriate questions to be asking as he's looking around at the people who have followed him uh, from various places. Where's my next meal gonna come from? Where's, uh, where are the clothes on my back gonna come from? But he speaks to all these needs that, uh, that we have. And instead of saying, you know, okay, let's focus on that, try and answer all that. Simply seek first the kingdom of God. But let that have primacy in our lives. And everything else, trust me on this one, will begin to find a place. Um, so how do we seek uh, first this lordship of God in our lives, in who we are and how we are? Well, that's where we're like, oh, I think there's got to be like some big overarching secret to the whole thing. And there's not. It's very simple and it's very ordinary. Because if God created us, which we assume that that is true, then he knows how we're wired and how we need what we need. And so we see Jesus setting this pattern of how to, uh, how to live our lives. Uh, and when we look at it, I was talking to you before about kind of the cool thing about reading into scripture is that there are all these like these little gems in there that are just mind-blowing uh, for us. So I, I read one before in Luke 4. Do you remember that? Jesus went away to a solitary place. And then just kind of keep on going through there. Um, and we always focus on kind of some of the cool big things uh, that Jesus said, which is awesome stuff to focus on. But sometimes we kind of gloss over some of those little nuggets that he throws in there where Jesus went away to a solitary place. Jesus went away to pray, as was his habit. Jesus took uh, a few of his friends with him and they went on a hike. And it was a pretty, uh, pretty awesome hike. I've never heard about transformation before, or transfiguration, but uh, he set a pattern of life where he put himself in the awareness and the presence of God. That's it. And so how do we Get to this, how, how are we living, how do we get to live these powerful lives? You know, I hear the stories about people who have these amazing faith things happen. How do we live life on the spot like Jesus lived on the spot? By living the kind of life he did out of the spotlight. Now, this dynamic should make sense to us in a lot of ways. Um, real specifically, uh, the one that I think about, and this is, I'm going to go to... Uh, my awkward teenage years on this one. You good with that? My children are not. They're cringing right now. It's awesome. So, look at kids and athletes. Uh, for me, uh, when I was in high school, I played tennis. And uh, this will kind of give you an idea of where I was at in the world of tennis. Uh, uh, the, uh, probably the biggest star in tennis when I was in high school was Andre Agassi. Total rock star, he was awesome, he was flashy, uh, he had just, just a very dynamic game. Uh, and he's the guy that brought uh, the bullet to tennis and denim shorts, um, which is super unfortunate uh, because uh, when we're, uh, when I was out there playing, I mean, I started watching all my friends and they started kind of going business in the front, party in the back with the thing, you're like, ooh. 
I see you. Yeah, I should do that. Um, and the denim shorts came out uh, to play tennis in, and uh, it was awesome. And people would try and do all the stuff, like the cool between the legs shot, and, and all this stuff. And, and you saw a big resurgence in the two-handed backhand because he did it like a boss. I mean, it was awesome. Um, but did we have the same results in our tennis game that he did when we tried to do the same things he did? No, and you all know why. This is a dynamic that we've all experienced. Because what you don't see is the years of training, the years of forehands and backhands, serve and volley, drill after drill after drill. Uh, the life of training, uh, the nutrition, the training for the mental aspects of the game. He was so amazing on the spot because of the life he lived off the spot that when he was on the spot, it was just a natural expression of, of the discipline he put himself under. You get that? You, you understand what I'm, what I'm saying? We see it all the time. Uh, musicians, uh, every time uh, I see Rob up here playing the piano or when Brian Hope comes up and plays the piano, when I, don't, I, I marvel and I'm sitting there and I, I kinda, I'm kind of sappy on this stuff and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was, that was awesome. What I don't see is the years of scales. Sorry, I'm not a musician. Um, and all the, the discipline that led to the freedom. Uh, yeah, you even saw it in uh, uh, one example, calling out my kids again because they're right there. Uh, watching Marin, first time she picked up the flute. It was, um, it was differently good. And, uh, was, and if you've got kids who are picking up instruments and learning instruments, you have been through this process. And we were, Tisa and I were always grateful that we were like, oh, so grateful that she didn't decide to pick up the trombone. Um, the flute was, it was quieter. But then, uh, I remember, and, and you kind of see uh, the progression of skill, and I remember, uh, Last year, listening to her, uh, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, she did this riff, uh, this, this little solo riff at one of the band concerts, and I was blown away. I was absolutely speechless. I saw the result, that moment in the spotlight from that life lived. We look at the life of Jesus, he lived 30 years out of the spotlight for a three-year ministry. There was a lot of life spent living this reality before uh, he went into the spotlight. And even when he was in the spotlight, he was always going away and connecting uh, with the Father. And so how do we do it? We submit ourselves to the same kind of life that Jesus did. That doesn't mean walking around in sandals all over Palestine. God puts you where you're at for a reason. But it seeks to live the, the same kinds of patterns that he did. Um, if this is literally our most important relationship, we need to take the time to devote to it, right? Uh, some of the first service, kind of the example I was thinking about this morning, uh, I get up early, uh, went out to the garage and practiced this, and like walked around the car and all that, and uh, I was trying to think about it. Then I go inside, because uh, I, and I hear the shower running upstairs, so I know, okay, Tisa's, 
Jesus awake. And uh, so I start boiling the water, and I always try and time it so I get the last pour over the coffee grounds right as she walks in. It's all about timing and presentation. And uh, so she comes in, I've got her coffee, I've got my tea, and we go and we sit down. And, well, obviously I talk, and she just sits there and goes, <laughs> and what did I ask this morning? Where, where are you at on your, on, on your coffee? Are you, are, you, are you still at the top? Because that's, that's no talking time. But she was halfway down, so I'm like, okay, I can start talking to her. But that's our, that's our time to, uh, to just kind of connect. Do we take that same time with God? Jesus did. He went away to a solitary place. It's about the kingdom of God and this uh, relational kingdom having primacy in our lives. And... Uh, uh, how we seek to uh, imitate his pattern in our lives because he desires for us to live powerful lives. Power from him, but a life that, uh, that is engaged in all of who we are. So uh, I want to give you a few examples, uh, kind of my, my weird little examples of how I've seen this dynamic play out in my life, both personally uh, and in my family, uh, in my vocation, and in the life of the church here. And uh, so, here we go. Uh, in my life, real specific example of uh, seeking first the kingdom of God, seeking first God's lordship in my life. And it comes as simply as taking God seriously enough that if he's the creator of the universe, I think that he has some things to tell me about my life. And that those things that he tells me and reveals to me are things I need to strongly consider. And then at some point you begin to uh, let him tool with you and tool with your heart. So uh, the one thing I was thinking about was, well, need patience. I used to pray a lot, God give me patience. Um, this was more when kids were kind of in the uh, uh, six, two and one range. Uh, when I was a younger person, uh, I would tell you that, oh dude, I'm totally type B personality. Just, you know, take it as it comes, life is good, and patience, patience ahead in abundance. And then, I got married, had kids, and realized, oh, it's not about my little kingdom anymore. There's a lot of other kingdoms here, a lot of other things that have impact. And uh, I discovered that I'm truly an impatient person, and that's, that's kind of a hard thing, like, when you see it, because then all of a sudden it leads you to lash out or say things you don't mean. Um, and it actually becomes kind of a deal. And so I remember going, Lord, give me patience, Lord, give me patience. And one day I began to, to pray about it and started to, to talk to them about it. And just, I just started going off in prayer. And uh, the beautiful thing is that uh, it doesn't really phase God too much. Uh, he's dealing with uh, galaxies and all this me doing my little tantrum on him, not a big deal. And uh, so I talk about him and I vent and I get frustrated and this person is doing this and this situation is just, oh, it's, oh, it's all there, I'm just it's so frustrated. And then I get done with it and God goes, hmm. you wanna talk about it? Yeah, I wanna talk about it. I said, so what makes it, like why do you lose your patience? Why is this such a big deal to you? This is the question he posed to me. 
He's like, well, because I, I and I started trying to uh, figure it out, and ultimately what I kind of came to as he kind of works with me on this one uh, is that I don't like the fact that uh, this other person has this control over my life, over my kingdom, over my will, that I have to bend my will to them. Oh, it's not about patience at all, is it? This is about my pride and what I want, my stuff. And God begins to unpack that for me. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. And what I walked away from with, and this is something we're still not there. That journey is not completed. Still figuring it out on a daily basis. But uh, um, what it started allowing me to do is to have a little understanding of the situation and of other people and of their needs. And the little bonus result of it was the uh, cultivation of this fruit, this patience. He does this end run around me and comes back to the very thing that I was praying about initially, but I come back to it with understanding and with a sense of his perspective on it. Um, my encouragement to you all, if you've never let God tool with you like that, do it. Check to see what he's going to do. See the ways that he is going to tool with your heart and change things. Be open to it. So instead of focusing on the problem, I began to focus on God. And the result was a whole lot more than just, oh, I got a little patience in the moment. I got perspective. Uh, I had a changed heart in the midst of it all. And I got patience. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is simply a result of God's tooling with your life and you letting him do it. So my family, uh, quick shout out to the children in uh, youth ministry. Um, and they're uh, partnering with us as parents. Uh, they do awesome things. They've got lots of great resources. But the thing that I've always really appreciated about uh, uh, the children in youth ministry here is simply the people who love on my kids and my family uh, ferociously and uh, speak the same message of God's grace and God's love into the lives of these kids. So all since not just me and, me and Tisa, it's us doing it. So, uh, but the hard part about that is that uh, uh, it's hard for us to take our kids to a place that we aren't at ourselves. So if you want to see the kingdom of God alive and well in the lives of your kids, you seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. It's not a, it's not a secret. It's a simple thing. It's a singularity of focus. And as we do that, as God begins to tool with us, as we begin to go to the cross, as we begin to repent, accept God's grace, and pursue after God, that stuff is the stuff that's contagious in the lives of our kids. Um, so if you want to encourage life in the faith of your kids, you seek after the kingdom of God. In my vocation, uh, we begin to ask the question, uh, how can God's kingdom reality be realized here and where, wherever I work? And uh, remember that we're not just asking the question and then just trying to figure it out and do all that. We're asking the question very specifically of God. And then we seek first the kingdom of God because that answer will come. What does it look like for me? 
Um, excuse me. Uh, so one of the things I do, I'm a, a firefighter with Puget Sound Fire. Love it. It's an awesome job. Thank you for paying your taxes. I love my job. Um, but uh, one of the things I get to do in my other roles is that uh, I'm the lead instructor for the EMT Academy, uh, which is part of our fire academy where uh, new recruits come in. And it's awesome because uh, twice a year we get this uh, cadre of recruits coming in, and they are young, eager, they're hungry for it because they, they have worked their butt off to get this job. They are excited about it. And it's, it's like the ultimate teaching uh, gig because I, when I walk in, they'll stand up, they'll say, sir, um, which for any of you teachers out there, right now you're like, that is totally not fair. Uh, but it's awesome. And they are hungry and eager to learn what we have to, to teach them. So I have, a, in a sense, I have a right audience to begin to start talking about the ethic of the fire service, that ours is a profession that, that lives in service of, of another. Huh. That sounds kind of like a kingdom ethic. Just put that one out there. Um, and how we see other people matters. Do we see the dignity and worth uh, inherent in the people that we serve? This is a big one for me. This one is very important because if we don't see the dignity and worth inherent in another person, we will not treat them how we ought. We will not give them the kind of patient care that they need. We need to see it. And sometimes the challenge is we need to ascribe dignity and worth to them even when they don't see it in themselves. And that's, that's one of the, the cool things about our job is that these little 20 minute interactions that we have uh, we, we, we have a little 20-minute interaction, but it, it really can, because I've seen it, it can be transformational in the lives of uh, the folks that we serve. And quick shout out to the Genesis Project, Dominique, where are you, Laura, where are you? They don't take 20 minutes. They take hours, weeks, months to pour into the lives of these girls and women. That's awesome. That is a kingdom reality. Um, so, uh, in the life of the church, last stop on the hip parade here. Um, remember uh, that our individual faith, uh, that phrase, my, my, my personal relationship with God, this individual faith I have, is a little bit of a misnomer. And right now I'm hoping that you're like, oh, that was the shock statement to grab your attention. It's a little bit of a misnomer um, because uh, our faith always has a communal aspect to it. It is a community thing. As a matter of fact, kind of the phrase that I've been kicking around for the last couple of days is that our faith is an individually engaged community experience. First off, your faith is not your own. It's not something that you just like conjured out of thin air. Your faith is a gift from God to begin with. It is a faith that was shared with you by someone, that community of people around you. It is a faith hopefully you get to share with someone else. Uh, our faith is challenged and grown in the context of community. Community is at the core of who we are. Uh, my encouragement always for you, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Because in this setting like this, it's easy to kind of get lost and blend in with the crowd. But in a small group, uh, you get to live life gloriously and brokenly and in a redeemed way with other people. Um, and from that community aspect, from this shared faith that we have, 
we begin to seek after God, seek first the kingdom of God, and then allow that to inform us how we impact our community. And that's the, the cool thing about uh, this church that I have loved from the day one that we started going here, uh, was that we've always had this community focus on things, that we desire to impact this community for the kingdom of God. We desire to embody the kingdom of God. Just do it, do our thing, do our kingdom stuff as we relate with one another, and let that speak volumes for us. Kind of the uh, uh, preach the gospel, use words if necessary kind of approach. And uh, I, I admit to you uh, that the opportunities now more than ever are, it's right, it's awesome, it's happening. And I was like the last person to get on board with it. I see all these new communities uh, getting built up all over the place. And where's the first place my heart goes? Ugh. Oh my gosh, the traffic is going to be horrible. And, and which is legit. Um, I mean, how are the schools going to even do that? I mean, is anyone even thinking about the schools? And we're going to need, like, uh, another grocery store in town. And, oh, what are we going to do with all this stuff? And I was just, I was getting bogged down by it until uh, my brother in Christ, Nate Seelop, and they see you were there. I was talking to him, and, and he just kind of said this one little phrase that totally upended it for me, um, where someone else in the community spoke uh, a word into my life. And all I said was, we're, as we're talking about these new communities that were coming in, he just said, wow, what an opportunity. I don't know if you remember saying that, but that punched me in the face, like spiritually. Um, what an opportunity we have to minister in the lives of all those people that are moving in here, and how are we going to seek to engage that? We have a great opportunity here, uh, more now even than ever before, because so many people are moving into the area. So, uh, here we go. I'm going to skip here to the end. Um, the, uh, the cool thing about living in this community is that this is, this is how the mission of God gets developed. There is a, uh, a theologian, uh, David Bosch, who wrote this great book um, uh, called Transforming Mission. And this is a little, it was a purple book, and uh, this is a book given to me by Jeff Lee many years ago. And he said, this is pretty much all a seminary in one book. Here. And it was true. It was this book talking about both a scriptural and a historical perspective on the mission of God and, uh, and the mission of the church, which is, should be the same thing. And he says this, looked at from this perspective, mission is quite simply the participation of Christians in the liberating mission of Jesus, wagering on a future that verifiable experience seems to belie. It is the good news of God's love incarnated embodied in the witness of a community for the sake of the world. Speaks to our focus and uh, what we are about as a community, that we are not a, a community uh, involved in just simply navel-gazing. Oh, look at me, look at me. Um, that might have been a weird visual for you guys, sorry. Um, but that uh, we have a point and a purpose as a community, as a faith community in the larger community. So as we look ahead uh, to our next few family meeting pep rallies uh, that we call worship, let us seek first the kingdom of God. Let us invite God to actually be Lord of our lives. Let us give him credit enough to trust that he is wise and has deep lessons to reveal to us. 
Let us trust him enough to tool in our hearts with our thoughts, with our actions, and to let his will become our will. Let us pray it and mean it when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. As the worship team is coming forward, would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that uh, we get to be your children, that, that we get to come together in this time uh, as a family of faith, that we get to uh, have you inspire us and encourage us and spur us on to faith and good deeds. Help us to see our faith not simply as our own, but something that was given and something that we need to share. I pray for your hand on these people. I thank you for them. We pray in your son's precious name. Amen.